Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Van Maren Show. Today, we're going to be talking about the impact of porn, especially on young men, how porn rewires the brain, contributes to erectile dysfunction, hijacks sexuality, and destroys people's lives. That's coming right up. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Van Maren Show. My name is Jonathan Van Maren, and today I'm going to be talking to my friend Gabe Deem about a topic that many people are uncomfortable with, but I think is really important to discuss. I want to stay at the outset here that this is a very blunt conversation. It's a conversation about erectile dysfunction, about the impact of pornography on the brain. There is going to be discussions that are explicit by nature of the material, by virtue of, of the material that we're discussing, but I think it's important for people to understand why pornography is so incredibly damaging and why the scientific consensus explains why pornography is so damaging. The reason I felt passionate about bringing this particular perspective to all of you is because of the fact that I have been contacted by dozens if not hundreds of young men and women who have found their lives transformed by pornography the vast majority the vast majority of these were christians were catholics were people who were raised to believe that porn was morally wrong and yet at the same time have found themselves unable to break free of pornography gabe dean lives in texas i met him actually in houston a couple of years back uh, he works as a personal trainer and he also speaks on pornography he's been on the chelsea handler show he's been on MTV, and he basically takes the science of what pornography does to young minds and explains it to people. Uh, obviously, we would believe that this scientific evidence supports the natural law conclusion that pornography is a destructive force, and I really do think that anybody who is struggling with pornography needs to understand what the impact of pornography actually is, why it is capturing them, what that addiction means, and how to get free. So here's my conversation with my friend, Gabe Deem. All right, just to start off, maybe tell our, our viewers and our listeners a bit about yourself because a young guy being fascinated with the topic of porn, but being anti-porn is obviously uh, not a particularly common story. So maybe give us a run on your background first and how you got so passionate about this issue. I think a good place to start would be the, the history of the reboot movement. So a lot of people won't know what that even means. Right. Uh, the mid 2000s, right after YouTube was created and you now had streaming platforms hit the scene, porn sites changed to where you could now instantly download streamable videos and have right. multiple tabs open, clicking from video to video, you know, unlimited novelty. Right after that happened, you had an explosion of forums all over the internet pop up with guys complaining of sexual dysfunctions that they attributed to their porn use. And it was really the first time you had a big movement of young guys quitting porn for health reasons. Right. So, you know, historically speaking, and still to this day, people try and dismiss any, I guess, awareness being raised on the negative effects of porn as having some underlying moral agenda. But this was the first time that a growing grassroots movement of young guys, and I was a part of that group, which I'll get into, were quitting porn for health reasons. Um, and so these forms just blew up with thousands and thousands and thousands of guys. And it became clear that I was dependent on pixels on a screen and that novelty, that dopamine kick from clicking the video to video 
to achieve arousal. And long story short, I decided to quit. This was May 17th, 2011. And during my recovery process, I saw a couple things that just frustrated me. Number one, most people have no idea that this was an issue. And the people that were talking about it, as I mentioned, were throwing out ad hominem attacks at people raising awareness. They were attacking the character and not the content of the arguments. And uh, one name that's prominent is Gary Wilson from yourbrainonporn.com. He was writing articles for a website called Psychology Today. And it was just, you know, sharing neuroscientific information, sharing success stories from young guys like myself that quit porn and then regain sexual function. And he was just getting attacked. They weren't addressing what he was saying. They were just trying to smear him and lying about what he was saying and dismissing the research and lying about the science. And so I knew two things. One, that there was a lot of misconceptions and myths out there on, on who a porn addict is and what porn addicts experience. And that there was young guys that were suicidal, they were broken and they needed hope. And those two things, the, the broken people and the misinformation just sparked a fire in me and I wanted to share my story because I eventually recovered. You know, I felt broken. I went through a period of depression and suicidal ideation. It was terrifying and depressing. And just knowing that people needed this information, you know, sparked me to share my story. And so ever since then, you know, in 2012, I decided to go public and things just took off. I uh, kept sharing my story and raising awareness. And to this day, people like yourself are thankfully giving me a, a platform to share my story. So hopefully I can help others and avoid ending up in the, they can avoid ending up in the hell that I ended up. So let's, uh, I want to get into the debate and the opposition to this information, but before that, let's lay the groundwork for people who heard your story and thought, well, is this a real thing? What's the scientific evidence for it? So I see you got a book behind you there, uh, The Brain That Changes Itself, which is a, a phenomenal book. Um, what would, uh, how would you explain the science to a layman? We're going to have a lot of people watching this. I'm sure who have either struggled with porn or do struggle with porn. Um, anybody who's watching this, who doesn't, I encourage them to share it with people they know are struggling with porn. What is, what is the physiology? What is the science behind the way that pornography essentially hijacks your, your sexuality and does precisely what you described? Yeah. So I'll start by saying all addictions share some of the same physiological brain changes, the same fundamental brain changes. And there's four of them. You have sensitization, which is like a super memory of pleasure. It's, it's conditioning. And you can think of Pavlov's dog as the example I like to use. Cue the ring of the bell to a rewarding stimulus, which was food. And the researcher also did a second part of that experiment, which most people don't talk about. He kept ringing the bell and stopped giving the dog food. And eventually over time, the dog stopped salivating. So not only did he sensitize cue reactivity sensitization for reward, the, he also showed that you could unlearn something. And so that's kind of the approach we take with porn is that you're, you're uh, rewiring your arousal template to need a certain stimulus to be turned on. And then by rebooting is our term for recovery, you abstain from it and those neurological pathways break away. The second brain change would be desensitization or, you know, developing a numbness, a tolerance. And this is, you know, shown in gray matter, uh, dopamine receptors. Studies have shown that dopamine signaling can decrease with intense stimulation of anything rewarding. 
And then you have hypofrontality, which is the prefrontal cortex. All addictions, even behavioral addictions, show that once you develop an addiction, your, your thinking part of your brain becomes inhibited. And then altered stress response would be that fourth main brain change. And that you have cravings or, you know, go through a stressful situation. This is what triggers those sensitized pathways. It, it, it ignites those and makes you go back to what caused the problem in the first place. So that's really the neuroscience. And there's now 51 neuroscience-based studies that support the porn addiction model. And it's being completely ignored by the skeptics and the naysayers. They, they won't address the 50 studies that we have from prestigious institutions like Cambridge, the Max Planck Institute in Germany and Yale and many others from top behavioral addiction neuroscientists in the world. So the evidence is there. We just need to get it out to them. So I find your approach to this interesting because as you know, I think I met you, what was it? A couple of years ago in Houston at the, uh, uh, Nicosi conference in Houston, I think 2016, I believe. Yeah. And the, the approach, I, I find the health approach that you and, and the people on NoFap and things like that take, because I, I do come at it partially from, from a moral perspective. Certainly it's definitely part of my, um, my, uh, Christian ethics in regards to sexuality, but also for me, what you talked about, the desensitization and the normalization and people finding themselves, uh, aroused by material that they intellectually find to be repulsive we're seeing the mainstreaming of sexual violence. It's interesting. There was an article in uh, the New York Times last year by Ross Duthat, who's a very talented conservative writer, one of the best in the country. And he said, look, the the original feminists, uh, like Andrea Dworkin and things like that, said that pornography was going to result in rape, but we see rape rates going down, which means that it's not doing that. And my response to that was, well, actually, the data indicates that pornography is not causing a spike in the sorts of like jump out in an alley and sexually assault somebody behavior. What it's doing is it's normalizing behavior. We once considered to be sexual assault. So in the Atlantic, for example, it said 24% of, of, of adult American women surveyed said they felt fear during intimacy at some point due to spontaneous choking. Now the line, the, 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 the consent is extremely blurry and, and you'll find a lot of women who just aren't sure what counts as consent and what doesn't because the introduction of porn into intimacy is just creating a lot of confusion around what consent even is, which my argument would be that that's not a good enough standard uh, for what is acceptable. But what I find more interesting is the fact that the thesis that pornography is reducing rape actually fails due to the fact that pornography is mainstreaming behavior that we would once have universally considered to be assault, right? Like we used to say boys shouldn't hit girls. Now it's like, well, it's okay if it turns you on. That's sort of the, the added proviso. What would you say about the desensitization to the, the crazy and the weird stuff that's now, now mainstream? I want a lot of listeners and, and viewers to realize this. This is not your grandpa's porn anymore. Um, this, this, the stuff we're talking about is really, really weird. And it's, it, it should be considered objectively depraved by people who actually care about other human beings and the dignity and respect of those human beings. Yeah, there's, there's two schools of thought. And I believe the correct school of thought that research backs is sexuality can be, uh, or sexual taste can change. Sexual taste can morph. There's animal studies that show you can condition rats to be aroused by the smell of rotting flesh. And the earlier sexual experience happens, the more deeply conditioned it is into the arousal template. There's studies that show that as well. And so what you're seeing, like you said, 
sexual tastes are changing and your young people are escalating into stuff that, as you mentioned, our grandparents weren't into. And there's an outside variable that's affecting that. It's porn. So you have a drastic increase in young teenagers that are having anal sex, young teenagers that are choking and slapping and hitting, that if porn was not there, if that outside influence wasn't there, that wouldn't be happening. And we know that from all of human history. And so, I mean, on the forums that I'm on, uh, my site, Reboot Nation, and you mentioned NoFap, Your Brain Rebalanced, we have all these forums where, I mean, 16-year-olds are saying that if they don't do what they saw in porn, they feel no arousal at all. And that's not normal. That's really concerning. And so, regardless of what the, the rape debate is, it is irrefutable that Porn is changing young people's sexuality, what they're into, and it is leading to blurred lines of consent to where, like you said, young girls are now afraid of having sex because they have no idea if their partner is going to punch them in the middle of sex. And then the guy says, oh, well, the girls in porn like it, so I thought you would too. But what they don't realize is that because of poor sex education, they, they don't know that it's all acting, and if they do know that, they don't know why they're aroused by it. And with that desensitization, this is really important. You escalate into something that you naturally didn't find arousing. I know myself, when I was 15, 16, I started watching some abusive misogynistic content. And after I was done, when my prefrontal cortex came back online and I go, Every heavy porn user has that, what did I just watch moment? Right. Um, It's because you desensitize your brain and then you click to something more shocking, surprising, anxiety producing because all of those things increase dopamine and you end up getting off to something and just natural teen curiosity too. You got to mention that. You get off to something that you used to not like, but that now like Pavlov's dog in the bell gets wired into the arousal template. And then subconsciously, next time you open up your laptop for a masturbation session, you go back to that content because your brain thinks that that's good for survival and reproduction. So for those uh, viewers and listeners who find the very conversation shocking, one of the points that I want to highlight is that the stuff we're talking about right now is extraordinarily common in Christian schools, in Catholic schools. This isn't just a public school problem. And I really think that Christian communities need to understand that this is happening in our communities virtually everywhere. This is a, this is now a common teen experience and increasingly a common pre-adolescent experience. You said the age 16. I had a girl at a Christian school in, in, in Toronto ask me, uh, she was 13 and asked me why her boyfriend was asking her for a list of like abusive behaviors. That would have been abusive if they'd asked a 19 year old, but when it, with a 13 year old, it, it was, it was, it was actually one of the first times I was shocked, not by what she told me about, but, but the fact, but how old she was, that was the part that really took me aback. And in, in my years talking about pornography in, in different contexts and in churches, I've had so many couples uh, email me and especially wives email me and saying like, look, I, I got married and I thought now that I'm married, I can enjoy the intimacy that comes with marriage. And instead, they're asking for all these perverse, abusive, awful things that I didn't even know anybody liked, much less was, you know, part of what marriage was all about. And so it's important to emphasize that this stuff is poisoning everything, that this is in the groundwater of the culture now. Maybe speak, because I know you, you've done a lot more research on this than I have, speak for a moment to the fact that this is a reality for young people across of the board you grew your your background was a church background as well correct 
Yeah, I was I was raised in a Christian family, but I never cared for it. I guess right. is how I'd say it. I was never I never watched porn and felt shame or turned to porn because of abuse or trauma or anything like that. So my whole actually my whole story doesn't have as you would say a moral element, right. and it's it's I quit porn for health reasons. That's that was my story, and that's the story of thousands of other young people. And. How common would you say porn is at how young of an age? Uh, well, studies show different ages, but I'd say confidently that 11 years old is probably the average age of exposure now. Um, there's experts that say it's as young as nine or uh, eight, nine or eight now. And I'd, there was one study in Australia that showed 100% of the uh, 18 to 25-year-olds had seen porn. They couldn't find anyone that hadn't. And there's a Canadian researcher several years back that had to cancel his experiment he wanted to do because he couldn't find a control group of college guys that hadn't seen porn. Yeah. So regardless of the age, by, by early adulthood, everyone's seen it and still during that adolescent, adolescent brain period. So back to the science just for a minute, because I want any parent listening to this to really get this point straight, because I'm talking to their kids and they're telling me that they've been looking at porn for years. I got an email a couple of weeks ago uh, from a guy who's like, I've been looking at porn since like grade six and it's poisoned my brain and I don't know what to do about it. It comes from a Christian home, has Christian parents, and he doesn't know how porn has has gripped his brain like that because the the Christian instinct would be like, well, porn is just wrong, so you shouldn't look at it because it's wrong. And, there, and you shouldn't do it for the same reason you don't do a whole bunch of other un-Christian behaviors. But for for kids to understand how to get free of porn and adults for that matter they need to understand what porn has done to their brain in the first place to understand the best way to break the addiction and break free there's a moral and a spiritual element to this obviously but on the other hand without understanding the way porn has shaped your brain you're not actually going to successfully get free unless a miracle happens so maybe explain for a moment how how does porn affect, especially the developing brain? Because a lot of a lot of adults think, well, if I saw porn, it wouldn't screw me up. It wouldn't change my brain. But it's different when an 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14-year-old sees porn. Their brain is at a different stage. So what does it do to a brain, especially in those key areas, a key, a periods, pardon me, of development? Well, I want to I answer that with two parts. The first part you kind of touched on is my advice to parents is to start with the brain science. Because if you start from a health perspective, regardless of what the topic is, you then can go into any other topic you want, whether that's consent, whether that's your own personal morality, anything like that. But if you get their attention from a health perspective, not, not only will they know that you have their best interest in mind for you know, pleasure and joy in life, but they also won't feel any shame about specific genres or maybe something that they've done in the past they'll be tuned in the same way they would if you started talking about the negative effects of drugs like cocaine or right. cigarettes or alcohol. They'll be listening to you from a health-based perspective. Once, they, once you lay the groundwork with that, then go into any other topic you want. So that's always my advice because, it, like I said, it takes away awkwardness. So that's my first part. The second part to answer your science question is – Honestly, the, the four brain changes that I mentioned earlier are just magnified exponentially in, a, in an adolescent brain. Uh, adolescent brain is more malleable, more changeable, more moldable than an adult brain. And the brain doesn't fully develop until mid-20s. The frontal lobes aren't fully online. So basically, a young 
adolescent brain is like a Ferrari engine with Ford Pinto brakes. It's just all gas, no brakes. And the ability to be conditioned, animal studies have shown this, the early sexual experience can matter way more than adult experience. It can stay with them. There was one study that had mice mating and they would yank the female out of the cage after one minute. The, the rats that had sexual experience before that study, they already had learned not to be rushed whenever they were having sex. But the rats that that was their first experience were trained to ejaculate really fast. So in an essence, they created one minute mice, right? They conditioned that early sexual experience and it took a lot longer. And then some of the rats didn't go away. And the main takeaway from that experience was if it was their first sexual experience during adolescence, it was a lot harder to unlearn, which goes back to the importance of teaching the kids the brain science because they need to know, I wish that I knew what I was watching mattered. And if I knew the brain science, not only I for sure would have cut back, but I probably would have stayed completely away because it didn't have my best interest in mind. I learned and kids need to know that porn, they may think that porn can lead to sexual pleasure, but they need to know that it can actually rob them of the one thing that they think it'll give them, the ability to experience sexual pleasure. And if you tell that to a kid, it covers all genres. It covers the entire topic of porn. And I think that's what they need to know. It's, they are at greater risk. That's why we have a drinking age of 21 here in the States. That's why, you know, substances like cigarettes aren't for kids and, you know, unhealthy at any age, but it's magnified in a child's brain and an adolescent brain. And so just real simply, those four brain changes, the ability of a brain to sensitize, the ability to be desensitized, the prefrontal cortex is weaker. All of those are magnified and worse in an adolescent brain compared to an adult brain. And they can be, they can take effect more quickly. So, before we get into the the debate, I just want to cover briefly. What would your be advice? What would your advice be to a young person who wants to get free of pornography? There's going to be people watching and listening who who are addicted to pornography and look at it, uh, and and they're going to want. That's actually the most common question that I get. Is it possible to reboot the brain after after I give talks on porn? The number one question, like, is it possible to get rid of this? Is it possible to rewire? So, what would your answer to that be? Uh, yes, it is possible to reboot the brain. Um, science has shown that dopamine signaling increases with abstinence of whatever the addiction was to, whether that's to substances or behaviors, gambling, internet, video games, whatever. Um, so the brain can rewire. Neuroplasticity, the brain's ability to change, is alive and well our entire life. And that's what both of these books are all about. The Brain That Changes Itself has a phenomenal chapter, chapter four, and uh, Norman Doidge goes into a brilliant uh, articulation of how the brain can wire to a stimulus and how it can unwire with abstinence. And so that's the first part. And then the second part would be the advice to recover or to abstain would be to number one, get educated. Um, number two, Find support, whether that's online or your friends or anyone, trusted family member or friend that you can talk to, uh, because keeping it secret and keeping it hidden can actually cause some shame and exacerbate the problem. So if you can just talk openly about it, uh, that is very beneficial. And then replacement activities. You need an outlet. You need something that's active 
uh, physical and productive. So intense exercise, uh, maybe meditation. If you're a person of faith, praying and, you know, meditating on whatever, a scripture or something. As a personal trainer, it feels like this part of the discussion, you're just plugging for people to go to the gym. <laughs> I definitely am. Uh, I'm definitely into fitness. That's what I do for my job is uh, training and group exercise because I know the benefits of it. Um, intense anaerobic exercise increases neurogenesis in the brain. And um, it's highly beneficial at not only just for life and maintaining uh, a healthy body and mind, but also for combating withdrawal symptoms. So when you quit porn or any addiction, uh, your brain can go through withdrawal symptoms and that could look like a, a decrease in dopamine and an increase in stress chemicals, uh, namely CRF and norepinephrine, stress chemicals that can make you feel anxious and agitated. And exercise can help with that. And so uh, in a nutshell, get educated, do healthy behaviors, learn a new sport or an instrument or a language, uh, study something, and then open up and get support, whether that's friends or family. All those things are the, the keys to success, in my opinion. Now for the debate, because I have to admit, when, uh, when I first came to Nicosi and I met you, and I forget who gave the presentation on, on, on what was referred to as the porn profs, it might have been Dr. Gail Dines, about this sort of uh, collection, a motley collection of academics that, that basically spend most of their time trying to refute the idea of porn addiction. And, and one, of the, one of the kind of ironic ways they do this is by claiming that uh, the addiction model is just a way, of people, a way for people to deny their own personal responsibility in what they consume, which is kind of interesting because that really appeals to, to libertarian and conservative sensibilities. But so maybe maybe lay this out. What, like who who is attacking this? Why is people like Dr. Gary Wilson under fire all the time for for laying out the science of, of, of why pornography is addicted? Like why why do they object to that thesis so much and so vehemently? I, I think it goes back to the fact that they don't want anything to be pathologized. And right. the most the most vocal group that are I'll call them porn problem deniers are sexologists. Uh, a lot of them are Kinsey Institute trained. Oh, yeah. And they, they are on a mission to deny any pathologization that can happen with sexuality. So in a nutshell, they don't want uh, porn addiction to be a thing. They don't want sex addiction to be a thing because they don't want any sexual behavior to be talked about in a way that's problematic. They want everything to be on the table. And the problem with that is there's a lot of people that could give two craps about the moral side of the debate, like myself, and they develop a pathology. So the pathologies exist. Out of control behavior is how to say it simply. Compulsive sexual behavior or addiction, whatever the semantics you want to go with. Out of control behavior and sexuality is a thing and research shows that it's a thing. But to maintain their position, of nothing sexual can be pathologized, they have to vehemently deny that, even to the point of just complete lunacy. Like, uh, I was on the Katie Couric show with uh, well-known author David Lay. He's like the go-to, one of the go-to people for the uh, denier side of the debate. And Katie Couric asked him, like, you know, do you think it's okay if children or teenagers watch porn and essentially he would not give a yes or no answer he just kept saying well you know just dancing around it but there's a reason he wouldn't even admit to a, a young person watching porn being a, a problem and that goes back to pathologization he won't admit that it could rewire the brain you know they, they even laugh at the idea which 
scientists that understand the brain know that, you know, any rewarding behavior rewires the brain. Right. And they have to get to the level of absurdity to deny basic neuroscience that's been understood for 50 years. And so what you have is the sexologists and organizations like ASECT, who came out with a position statement denying porn addiction, saying they don't believe it's a real thing, they have to look to any researcher that agrees with them. And there's, there's really only one main researcher that agrees with them, and that's Nicole Prouse. And she actually in her Twitter bio used to say, studying uh, why humans engage in sexual behavior without invoking addiction nonsense. So clearly saying her bias to the world. And that's who they turn to, a researcher with an agenda. And, you know, all the other neuroscientists in the field have critiqued her study saying that actually her findings support the addiction model. And so you have one side ignoring the vast preponderance of evidence. And then you have us saying, hey, what about all this science? And they ignore it. They deny it exists. They won't debate us. They block us on social media. They no platform us and lie about us. And it's just gotten pretty ugly to the point of lawsuits and uh, defamation cases. And so, yeah. What kind of lies are they telling? Because I, 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 again, like, it, it, it is your explanation that this is all about ensuring that no sexual behavior gets pathologized makes a lot of sense because there seems to be like a lot of passion and, emo- and emotion surrounding an issue that from your perspective is, is purely scientific. Like I get quite passionate advocating against porn, but I have a quite a long list of moral reasons to oppose it, including the like mainlining of violence, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, but they, they be, they not having any moral compass when it comes to sexuality shouldn't be, so angry about it but dr david lay i've tangled with him on twitter too um like they seem to be quite upset with it what, what are these lawsuits you're referring to well uh the founder of nofap is in a lawsuit a defamation case and also neurosurgeon uh dr donald hilton so they're oh, no both kidding. they're both in lawsuits with dr nicole prouse uh who is friendly with the porn industry because dr nicole prouse has uh, said statements about them that are, you know, demonstrably false. And so it's, it's definitely got it heated. And um, I think it, yeah, I think it goes back to, they don't want to say any potential negative effect from porn could ever be a thing physiologically. And um, it's so backwards than what you would expect. Like you're saying, like nowadays, historically it was, you know, moral arguments, but now the people that are in the reboot movement and people like Gary Wilson were only concerned with the health effects and the neuroscience that's explaining our situation. And the other side that claims to be sexually liberal, they're the ones that bring up morals. It's completely backwards than what it used to be. We're well, making, on- yeah, they're making whenever a scientific discovery seems to lend credibility to the position of somebody they oppose, they start to make a moral... Right now, you basically have like people in the middle like yourself and Dr. Gary Wilson, and then people on either side arguing essentially for two different moral paradigms. And yeah, everybody who listens to the show knows which which one of them I'm in. But I'll at least admit that I'm in, an, in a moral paradigm, arguing from a moral paradigm, and I think that the evidence available... Um, both on on things like desensitization, violence, the stuff you're bringing up supports my position. They're in a different moral paradigm, but they're not admitting they have a moral paradigm. That's sort of the irony of it all. Yeah, yeah, and they're they're to the point now where they have to deny the science. So, if any listeners come across an article 
in mainstream media that tries to say porn addiction isn't a thing or, you know, porn can't lead to any sexual problems, they're going to almost always go to David Lair, Nicole Prouse, or one of their friends as their experts. And they all cite, you know, one or two papers by them, or sometimes they'll cite a, 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 an opinion piece blog and they'll ignore the 50 neuroscience studies that I mentioned earlier. They won't go to the hundreds of urologists and psychiatrists that actually acknowledge and treat porn-induced sexual dysfunctions. And there's several case studies now where urologists have actually had young guys with sexual dysfunction abstain from porn and they recovered from their sexual dysfunction. So longitudinal case studies that, re that found uh, uh, sexual dysfunction remit after abstaining. And so that's huge evidence that they never even acknowledge exists. So for any listeners, when you, when you hear there's no evidence, know that that's completely false. The vast preponderance of evidence supports porn addiction and supports porn-induced sexual dysfunction. So the one other thing that people will bring up that I wanted to pick your brain on just for a second is the, um, a lot of people will say, well, is there evidence that, that, uh, that ED, erectile dysfunction, has gone up in recent years? Because if uh, pornography is one of the sources of erectile dysfunction, that means we should have seen a, a precipitous spike over the last 10, 15, 20 years. Does that evidence exist? Oh, absolutely. So uh, before, before 2002, most studies on young, healthy guys under the age of 40 had ED rates of 2 to 5%. There was one study worded a specific way that I think had rates up to about 7%. But all studies on erectile dysfunction in young men since 2010, so right after, you know, streaming tube sites hit the scene, smartphones hit the scene, you saw a huge spike in percentages of guys 18 to 40 erectile dysfunction. And some studies have it now over 30% or around 30%. Wow. So there's been a drastic increase in both erectile dysfunction in young men and low libido in young men where their sex drive vanishes. There was one study on high school seniors, more porn use in the high school senior boys, the more likely they were to have less or low libido. Yeah, it, yeah it, it's, it's kind of strange that whenever you're addicted to something, it robs you of what the pleasure you're seeking actually is. Um, what's the one major source? So you've talked to like Alexander Rhodes from NoFap and a lot of these guys a lot. Um, besides the, the accountability thing that you mentioned, what's the best like video or source people, people can go to if they want to share it with, with others uh, that it sort of succinctly encapsulates the science behind all of this? Yeah, I, I would go to Gary Wilson's website, yourbrainonporn.com. He's the author of the book by the same name, Your Brain on Porn. Uh, he has a Start Here article that, you know, it's a 15, 20-minute read, and it explains all the basic neuroscience of porn addiction and porn's ability to rewire that arousal template in the brain. And it's it's great starting point for a parent or a teacher or a, a sexuality educator to start with that when you're talking to younger people. And it's just the neuroscience. Like Virtually every sentence in his Start Here article has a link to a study. So the people that try and say it's not backed by science are ridiculous. Before I let you go, is there anything regarding this discussion that we missed? We've, we've talked before and we talked for hours, so I want to make sure there's nothing important that we've missed on this subject. Um, I think a couple of misconceptions might, might be good to mention. Um, yeah. For partners, uh, this is a big one for partners if they're listening. Uh, if you have a partner that's a porn addict or has a sexual dysfunction because of porn, 
know that it has nothing to do with attraction. This right. is really important because, you know, a lot of partners will say that I can't compete with porn. You know, the, the way that the actresses or actors look, it's just something I can't compete with. The problem is rewiring and conditioning of the brain. It's an arousal template problem, not an attraction to looks problem. If your partner doesn't know that, explain that to them. And again, point them to the neuroscience. Yeah. Well, Gabe, thanks. Thanks a million for joining me again. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, Jonathan. The impact of pornography actually is why it is capturing them, what that addiction means and how to get free. So here's my conversation with my friend, Gabe Dean. Ladies and gentlemen, that was my conversation with Gabe Deem. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this show. If you want to check out past shows, go to lifesightnews.com, click on the podcast button. You can subscribe.